You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. Happy Easter. It is so good to be with you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. That is where we are going to be for this glorious Easter Sunday. You guys doing well? Yeah? You guys look beautiful. Can I just say that? The pastels and the hats and the, man, you guys are a good-looking congregation. Very nice, very nice. I'm curious, how many of you in this room would say that you are good with directions? See how fast people like that, people who are good with directions, they know they're good. And they're like, oh yeah, Oh, yeah. How many of you would say, I am not good with directions? Hey, do you see that? The first group of people, they raise their hand. The second group of people do this. Right? Man, we got to repent, huh? We need some humility in here. We all know a guy. We all know a girl who will say, hey, I, I don't know street names, but like, I know how to get there. How many of you are like that, right? I can't tell you, I can't, like, I can't tell you what streets to turn on, but like, if I saw it, I would know how to get there. We all know a guy like that, and that's fine. I can respect a person who says, I know the way, I just can't tell it to you. That's okay. But what's funny is when that person tries to tell you anyway, right? (laughs) Have you ever tried to receive instructions from that person? I mean, you know, it's like you're going to go on like the road, and it's going to kind of like curve, and you're going to see a tree, and you're like, a tree, hmm, okay. They're like, yeah, and then you're going to see like this building, and then it's going to be like your fourth, or maybe it's your fifth turn. Trust me, you can't miss it. And you're like, huh, I feel so directionally safe right now. And so you go, you know what, let me not bother you. I'm just going to take out my GPS. And they go, no, 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 no. Like they know more than the GPS. No, 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 hey, it never gets it right. Trust me, you can't miss it, right? Famous last words, you can't miss it. So you start going on your way, you see a tree, maybe you see some sort of building. And before you know it, 30 minutes later, you're just sitting there in your car crying, going, which way? How did I get it? Which way do I go? Which way do I need to take? Someone tell me already. Which way? Friend, we have all tried to navigate our way through town, feeling this sense of lostness and confusion. But I'm curious, are any of you here, have you ever had a season where you've tried to navigate through life with that same sense of lostness? Is anyone here where you've experienced a time of your life where you just couldn't help but stop and just go, which way? Which way? How did I get here? Where am I going? Which way is up? Which way is down? Which way is forward? Someone just tell me which way? What path? do I need to take to reach a sense of just life? Which way to obtain a sense of thriving, the the level of thriving that we all deep down want in our souls? How do I get to a place in life where my soul can honestly say, I am living the life that I was created to live? Which way? Which way do I need to go? How do I get there? Somebody tell me. You see, we're all trying to find that, aren't we? 
doesn't matter what you're wearing this morning. doesn't matter what you did before you came in. We are all in the same boat. We want to reach that sense of completeness. We want to live a life that we can say, this is what I was created for. And so we follow influencers, don't we? We read the books. We download the podcast. We look at the TikToks. We talk to our friends. And though we may not use these words, every one of us is asking the same question. Which way? Which way do I go? Which way? What is the path? Can somebody give me directions? Which way do I go so that I can arrive at life? And so for the next few moments, I want to show you how Jesus shows up on the scene to a bunch of people that look just like you and me, minus maybe some dress shoes, maybe a few more thong sandals. But we're all asking the same question. He shows up and he gives directions. He starts to highlight a path, and I'm telling you that this path that he shows us is not any path that any of you in this room expected. This is a path that's going to leave you scratching your head and going, this is the path, these are the directions, but hang with them, friends, because I promise you that this path will lead to life. Would you guys like to, to see the path? Would you like to see some directions from Jesus this morning? Me too. Here we go. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. We're going to break this story down into three scenes. So let's look at our first scene. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Number one this morning, there are varying perspectives about Jesus' identity. There are varying perspectives about Jesus' identity. Jesus shows up on the scene and he is generating a lot of buzz. All right, people are talking, people in the city people in the country, religious people, non-religious people. Jesus is catching fire like a viral TED Talk. The crowds that he's drawing to himself are unlike anything they've ever seen. Guys, the healings. So people are talking. People are all trying to answer this question. Who is this Jesus? This is the major headline. This is the, the, the viral hashtag. What every blogger, pundit, and podcaster were talking about was this question. Who is this guy? So people are talking. And so Jesus, he sits down with his disciples, and he asks them a question to get them thinking. He goes, hey, disciples, I'm curious. Tell me this. Who do people say that I am? Review for me. What are, what are the cultural narratives? What are the theories that are going out there about who I am? And so they're grabbing the hummus and they're, and they're pita bread. And they go, well, I'll tell you, some people out there, they think you're John the Baptist. Because the only other time that they've ever seen crowds like this was when John the Baptist came. And Jesus is like, but John the Baptist is dead. They go, yeah, they think you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Okay, that's the first take, right? The supernatural take. Other people say, you know what? Jesus is Elijah. Not like literally the Elijah the dude, but he is the figure. He is the, his, the significant person who was prophesied would come before the Messiah. 
And so some people say, Jesus, you're not like the guy, but you're like number two. Okay? And then still others, they go, Jesus is just a prophet. He's just another messenger in the long line of tradition of people who spoke on behalf of God. Who do they say that I am? I'm curious, how would people in Talbot County answer this question? How, are, how would people at your work, your extended family at the Easter table later for dinner, how do people today answer this question? What are the cultural narratives, friends, in 2023 about Jesus? You should ask. Go ask right. And you'll hear some people will say Jesus was a good dude, right? Humanitarian, moral, taught us a lot of good things. Other people would say, you know, Jesus, he was like an activist. He like spoke up for the marginalized. He gave a voice to those who didn't have a voice. So yeah, you know, good teacher, good dude. Sometimes you'll hear opinions on the other end of the spectrum, right? They go, Jesus was straight up crazy. Jesus, the things that he claimed, he was loco, right? Like, or other people would go even further and say, Jesus didn't even exist. Jesus is a work of historical fiction. This Jesus is just a creation of our imagination that we've built up so that we can endure the chaos of this world. Who do people say that Jesus is? Are your ears open to the cultural narratives? Are your minds hearing what people are saying? Jesus, people are talking now, and people were talking then. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus shifts the conversation from cultural narratives to personal perspectives. He says, okay, these are the narratives floating around. These are the theories about me. Good, but now pause. I want to know, who do you say that I am? You've seen the miracles. You've heard my teachings. You've seen how I roll. You've seen me in action. You've been with me now for these years. So I ask you, point of decision, who do you say that I am? And friends, I'm telling you, this is the most important question that you will ever ask in your life. And it's the most important question that you'll answer with your life. You see, there comes a point, guys, where knowing what other people think about Jesus is no longer enough. You can't hide in the crowd of opinions forever. You can't remain undecided. There comes a point in your life where Jesus turns to you and he says, okay, what do you believe? You hear his claims. You've seen his deeds. You've interacted with his people. And those things demand one of two decisions. You believe him or you don't. And so this is what he says to his disciples. Who do you say I am? And how many of you have a friend who's usually the first person to speak? How many of you are that guy? How many of you are the guy that you're answering the question before the question mark was even put on? I see that hand. I got you, right? That's why they give me a microphone, because I'm speaking anyway, you know? And so the disciples have a guy like that. His name is Peter. Peter puts up his hand. He goes, Jesus, you are the Christ. I don't think that those other narratives go deep enough. I don't think that those other perspectives get to the core of your identity and who you really are. And so here's what I think. You are the Christ. Meet Peter. Here is conviction. He doesn't, he doesn't um, speak with question marks. You're the Christ? He doesn't say, I think. He doesn't say, I was wondering. He goes, with conviction. He's convinced. You are the Christ. 
So what does Christ mean? I grew up thinking Christ was Jesus' last name, right? The Christ family, Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, oh, it's not. <laughs> I was this many moments old when I learned, no, Christ is not a last name. Christ is a title, okay? And this Greek word, this title, Christ, simply means anointed one. You probably are more familiar with the Hebrew version of this word. It's called Messiah, okay? So same thing here, Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is a title. And so you see, in the old days, in the Old Testament, they would anoint someone, they were the anointed one, they would anoint someone to show that they were a king. Okay, and if you think that's weird, it's not. Just go back to your childhood. We all saw it, okay? They anointed Simba as a mark. Here is our king, and they held up the anointed one. There it is. It's the same thing in your Bibles, okay? The Christ was the anointed one. And so here's what happened. In the Old Testament, it referred to the person who was currently in office, the king. But eventually, over time, this title, Christ, this phrase, the anointed one, began to refer not just to any old king, but to the king the anointed one who would one day come and finally deliver us and save us from this world, the one who would come and once and for all establish God's kingdom of righteousness. And so when they're talking here, they're looking forward to the Christ, the anointed one of all anointed ones. And so Peter says, that's who I think you are. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the King. You are the one who has finally come to deliver us and to save us. And Jesus says, you're right. Tell no one. <laughs> you're like, oh, we're going to do like an Easter egg hunt, huh, Jesus? I see. I see. We're going to put your identity in secrets all around the lawn. No, no, no. He goes, you're right. Tell no one. Because before you start spreading the good news about the king, you still have some ideas that need fixing. Peter, you see my identity, but you don't fully yet comprehend my strategy. Peter, you see the person, but you don't yet understand the path. And so let me tell you very pain, plainly what my path is. Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, Jesus tells them very plainly, number two, Jesus must carry a cross before he wears a crown. Jesus will carry a cross before he wears a crown. He is the king. He is the one that we've been expecting, but he tells us that he is going to suffer when he gets to Jerusalem. He tells us that what awaits him in the capital is a stiff rejection. He's going to be killed. And we all say, uh, what? 
That is not the arrival of the king that we anticipated. But here's what strikes me about his words here, okay? Jesus is not simply making a prediction. You see, what's a prediction? A prediction says, I already know the ending. Here's how it's going to go. But if you look carefully, Jesus is not telling us what will happen. He's telling us what must happen. Underline that word in your Bible. Do you see it? He says, I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must be killed. This is necessary. It's not just going to happen. It has to happen. This is what he came for. The purpose of his mission was to lay down his life. Jesus came to experience a death that he didn't deserve so that you can experience a life that you don't deserve. It has to happen. This is the climax. This is the point of his incarnation to save humanity by laying down his life for them. In a couple of chapters, we're going to see Jesus give a mission statement. He says, for I came to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what it's all about. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to experience a path marked death. But then, after three days, I'm going to rise again. He goes, listen, he, predict, he is telling us before it even happens, the weekend of Good Friday and Easter. He is telling us, I will rise and reign. I will arrive at life. I will put on a crown. But first, I'm going to carry a cross. I will arrive at life. But it's by taking a path marked death. I want you to imagine that you're Peter, little boy Peter, and you grew up on stories of the coming Messiah. And every year, you didn't celebrate Christmas. There was no Christmas yet. You celebrated the anticipation of Christmas, that one day the Savior King would be born and rescue you. You grew up on stories, and, and, and you're, you, know, you played cops and robbers maybe, right? He played king and villain. I don't know, but he just he looked forward to the day where God's King would come and vanquish the enemy. And that little boy Peter has grown up. And he's standing before the one that he believes is this king. And he says, no, 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 no. You're supposed to dominate, not die. I know the script, Jesus. No, no, the script is you're to be the champion, not to be crucified. And so he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. And he goes, stop it. Hey, Jesus, this is not a time to be melancholy. This is absurd. I wholeheartedly disapprove of your game plan. This is not the way it's supposed to go down. With your power, with our loyalty, we should be setting our sights on the crown, not on a cross. Come on, get it together, Jesus. And perhaps my favorite part of the entire passage, it says right here, Jesus turned and he saw his disciples. He, he's hearing this tirade from Peter, and he's probably, you know, you know, and he might be tempted in that moment to just let them, let them entertain their, their fantasy. Let them entertain their dream. Let me not crush their, but he turns 
and he looks at the disciples and he sees their faces and he goes, they need to know. They need to get it. I cannot leave Peter's tirade unchecked right now, no matter how well intended it is, because if they don't get this, they won't get any of it. If they don't understand this path, if they don't understand what I'm doing, all of it will be for naught. So he looks at his disciples, and he rebukes Peter, and he says to him, get behind me, Satan. In other words, Peter, your perspective is of this world. Your logic, your operating system here is according to Satan, who is the ruler of this world. You're thinking of the way that the world system operates. But here's what I'm thinking of. I'm not thinking of the things of man. I'm thinking of the things of God. And in this firm rebuke, Jesus reveals, friends, that there are two ways to live your life. There are two different perspectives. There are two operating systems that every single one of you in this room will be subscribing to as you navigate through life. He says there are the things of God and the things of man. There's just some things in this life that are binary, right? You're a Windows guy or you're a Mac guy. You're an iPhone lady or you're an Android lady. Right? Come on, friends. You know what I'm talking about. He says, hey, you're either living according to the things of God or the things of man. So the things of man is this, right? It's to live according to the values, pursuits, and priorities of this world. This is the way things operate in our society without God. This is the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of earth. And the mantra, the tattoo that we get when we live according to the things of man is this, life to death. Live it up, YOLO, come on somebody, right? Live it up, because then you're going to die. And this is what Peter is operating according to. Peter's going, Jesus, this is not how we do things. We got to live now. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm operating according to the things of God. I am living with the values, pursuits, and priorities of God in mind. You're operating down here. I'm operating according to the way that we do things in heaven with perspective of God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, we have a different tattoo. It's not life to death. It's death to life. In God's kingdom, we die to the here and now pursuits of this world. And the moment that we die to the here and now pursuits, we truly start to live. We truly start to live. Jesus is operating according to this perspective. And they need to get it. Man, they need to understand this. Friends, we in this room, we need to understand this. Because not only is Jesus living according to this perspective, we're going to need it too. You see, not only is Jesus following this path, we realize it's not just the path for his life, it's also the pattern for ours. And so he teaches them the last scene here. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus looks to his disciples and he says this final thing, to find your life, you must lose it. To find your life, you must lose it. This is such a critical lesson. This is such an important one that it says here that he calls a holy huddle. And he grabs, hey, hey, bring it in. Come on, come on, bring it in, bring it in. And he calls everybody together. He calls the crowd. And, he's, and he says, I have to break this down for you. I need to teach you this. I am following a road marked death that will ultimately lead to life, okay? I will experience the crown, but first I'm experiencing the cross. And so he's looking at the path and he walks it. And as he walks it, he looks back to his disciples. He looks down at the path. He looks back at his disciples. And he says it. Follow me. Oh. Jesus, it's hard enough to, to accept that you're following the road marked death to achieve life. But me? He says, follow me. The cross is not just the plan for his life. It's the pattern for yours, for mine, for those of us who are followers of Jesus. To follow Jesus is to walk the same path toward life that first passes through death. See, we are followers of Jesus, or we're following the leader. The leader, the leader. We're following the leader wherever he may go. And where is he going? He's taking up his cross. He says, follow me. It's quite the slogan for getting new followers, huh? Follow me and die. Yo, Jesus needed like a PR department or something. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus, this is not a good campaign slogan. You know, I know that you like the cross imagery, but I don't think an instrument of death should be the symbol of our victorious burgeoning movement. All right? And yet that's what he's calling. He's looking at these disciples in their eyes, dead serious, going, follow me and die. Follow me on the road marked death. Why? Because ultimately it will lead to life. And we're sitting here going, how could this road possibly lead to life? How could this path possibly result in anything even closely resembling life? And he goes, let me explain it to you. And he gives us this paradox, friends. He says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. In order for you to understand this paradox, you almost need like air quotes around the word life, right? He, when he says lose your life, he's not saying physically die. No, he's not saying that. When, when he says life, it's like like life, the way that the world defines this word, the way that the world defines living. These are the things that society looks to and they go, yo, 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 this is life. These are the things that you should build your life on. If you have this, you will be truly successful because that, friends, 
is living. And so we know what the world offers us, don't we? The world knows exactly what tune to sing to catch my ear. The world knows exactly what picture to paint to capture your imagination and to make your heart leap to go, yeah, I want that. And so the world offers you life in the form of relationships. Life in the form of success. No, have true life in the form of your ambitions and your status and your money. Man, if you get this, that is life. These things will give your existence meaning. Come and grab two hands full of life. We all know what the world offers us as true life. And Jesus very simply breaks it down. He goes, you got two options. The first option you can try to save this life. You can pursue and preserve the life that the world offers you. You can do whatever it takes to gain and to grip and save your shot as real living the way that the world defines it. And you're getting there and you go, man, I'm really getting life. But here's what Jesus says about this option. He goes, even if you get everything that it has to offer you, even if you were to achieve it, if you gained the whole world, is it worth it? If you've neglected your soul in the process, is it worth pursuing this life? If at the end of your days you look up and you realize just how far your heart is from the real author of life, you've gained the world. And you forfeited your soul. And he just says it so plainly. What does it profit? Was it worth it? He goes, play the movie forward to the end. When Jesus comes back in all of his glory with his angels and he brings a decisive end to this age. If you come to that moment and you realize that you have tried to gain life. And yet you've truly lost it by building on things that didn't even matter. Will it, will it have been worth it? So you could get after it. You could save your life. Life. Or there's another option. Instead of saving it, you could lose it. You can die to the dreams and desires of the world. Friends, there's another option here. We can refuse to chase the life that the world offers. To carry our cross means that we die a little bit more every day. We continually let the dreams and desires of this world die. We let our selfish ambitions die as we lay down our lives in service to others. We daily face the offerings of this world and say, no, thank you, because I am building a life and an identity that isn't founded on those things. I see you, fam, but I'm dead to that life. And instead, I'm building a life that is founded on Jesus. And full disclosure, if you choose this option, everyone will look at you and say, you're losing the race. <laughs> what? Dude, you're losing the race. And you go, no, 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 I actually, I just, I just decided I'm not even going to run it anymore. People will look at your lifestyle and they go, you're losing the game. That's not how you play it. You're not leveling up. You're not getting life. And you say, no, I'm not losing the game. I've died to the dream of even trying to win it. And friends, in that moment, 
though it looks like from one perspective that you've lost your shot at real living, Jesus assures you, no, 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 in that moment you've actually saved it. Because the path marked death actually results in life. Not air quotes life. No, in life that is meaningful. Life that lasts for all of eternity. This is the life that we said in the beginning that we want. A life that satisfies our souls. The life that we've been looking for all along. The life that eludes us even though we pursue life. At the end of the day, we find ourselves empty. Where is it? Which way? And he says, this way. This is the way to true life. Life in God's family. It's life with Jesus. I told you, friends, we are all in the same boat. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account. I don't care what decisions you made over the weekend. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. I don't care if you've never been in church until this moment. We are all in the same boat. We are all looking at life going, which way? None of us are born naturally enlightened. None of us have a knack for getting it. This is a counterintuitive path. And we wonder, where's the path to life? How do we get to the place where we are living the life we were created to live? And this morning, friends, Easter points to the path. Because the world offers offers us a life that results in death. And Jesus, Easter is our reminder that those who follow Jesus will experience a death that results in life. Easter is our reminder that though we carry our cross daily, we will one day exchange this cross for a crown. Easter is our reminder that though following Jesus costs you everything, you actually lose nothing. Easter is our glorious reminder that Jesus has gone from death to life, never to taste death again. And those of us who follow him will experience the same. Easter is our reminder that we should follow Jesus. For the path marked death actually leads to life. The path that Jesus is walking, friends, is not just the story of his life. It is the script for yours. Come and follow him. Lose your life so that you will really save it. And as you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you, in, that, in that resurrection, you will see a mirror of your own life story. I, too, once was dead but now I'm alive because I'm following Jesus down the path marked death that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for what you're doing in human history. And we just come before passages like this and we say, God, help me. Renew our minds for this is not natural. Lord, renew our minds, for deep down inside, we want this, and yet on the surface level, we say, man, I can't do it. I can't say no to the world. Holy Spirit, would you honor even that simple prayer of, I want to want it, and would you save us? Transform our hearts, renew our minds, and make us into the image of Christ. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. 
And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.